Hello, welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. My name's Andy Bell and I'm joined in person. He's come all the way from Sheffield just for this, not really, uh, but I'm joined by Peter Baker. Pete, how are you feeling? Yeah, Andy, thanks for having me. It's nice to finally be able to do a podcast face-to-face. It's nice to sort of scrap Zoom and... <laughs> Temporarily. That, yeah, a sign that normality's returning. Yeah. Great. Yeah, well, this this game's been brought back. It was originally supposed to be the uh, it was supposed to be the Monday. It's now been brought back to the Sunday. Uh, so we're going to rep- record this from the pub this afternoon. But we thought we'll, we'll get it out early, uh, give people a bit of time to listen. Uh, well, this will be interesting because people will probably be listening tomorrow. Um, so what do you think? They let's make tits of ourselves. What do you think the the playoff final and the Champions League final are going to be? Give me a score prediction. Playoff final. Yeah. Who's it? It's Brentford. Swansea, I was thinking, yeah, Swansea, Swansea against Brentford. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't mind Brentford coming up, a bit of difference. Yeah. So we'll say 2-1 Brentford. Uh, Champions League final. Uh, I don't really care. Uh, I hope the ref has a great game. <laughs> I, think, I think City will win 2-0. Yeah, agreed. I think Pep's going to finally get over the line. Swansea are one of those boring teams. Like Not not boring in terms of how they play, but like yeah. you look at their team and it's just like players from five years ago Wayne Routledge plays up front you know what I mean yeah. we need something different just journey man yeah I'll, I'll go 2-0 2-1 Bron- uh, Bromby <laughs> yeah because it's the Danish playoff final now uh, 2-1 Brentford and yeah 2-0 City I think so okay well we'll see how that goes people uh, waking up tomorrow morning uh, can assess our predictions there but here we've got a game against Malta uh, behind closed doors in Austria <laughs> it's pretty hard to get excited about isn't it um, I mean Ian Barraclough could do with getting a win here couldn't he I think a win is pretty crucial against Malta because I, I don't know what rank they are in uh, the world at the minute. But 175th, I believe. <laughs> 175th. They always seem to be finishing bottom of the groups. Yeah, I have a stat on that. Um, I think it's 19. I think it's in the 1970s is the last time they haven't finished bottom of a group. Right. So, uh, I think that's although they've drawn with us in the last two that we've played them. Okay. And it's in Austria. It's in Austria, yeah. I think that says it all, really. We need to get a win. But saying that... I sort of see it as a free hit again. You know, with the players we have on the squad, I think it's just try and get youth mm-hmm. into the team. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything against Malta. I mean, if we played our full strength team, uh, it would be very similar to that Bulgaria game. Probably yeah. even more dominant. Yeah. We just pin them back and we may or may not score. I think I think Malta are maybe just a slightly worse version of Bulgaria. It'll play out in that way. But we, yeah. we've got Lithuania this summer, or sorry, in September. Now got Lithuania and Switzerland. And realistically, we have to pick up six points if we're any chance of qualifying yeah. for the World Cup in 2022. Now, you know, we've talked in the podcast before, we'd like Barclough to get, you know, at least, I mean, his contract's up at the end of this campaign. I'd like to probably see him get the Nations League regardless because we've seen the kind of transition he's brought through players like McCann and Ballard and uh, potentially got Braith, McCallmont, etc. coming through as well. Um, but it's we were originally supposed to play Turkey and Ukraine and they would have been very tough games. They would have been very tough games. I mean, Turkey have, have you know, five or six players playing for Lille who have just won Ligue 1. Um, Ukraine regularly qualify for major tournaments although we do have quite a good record against them in both male and female uh, football but uh, this axis of, of, of Lithuania Switzerland this will give us a bit more practice that we haven't really had because all the games have been Nations League or against Italy this will give us a bit more practice at breaking down a, a, a packed defence what's probably going to be a 4-5-1 5-4-1 some variation of that and that's good because we need to get that right yeah I think that's crucial I mean we just struggle breaking down teams and scoring the goals against Belarus we left it late against Estonia we left it late um, it could be an opportunity if he puts a strong team out to just put Malta to the sword I think mm-hmm. that's, that's what I want to see because we've got a lot of quality in the team yeah. I mean look at the players that we. I know a lot aren't in the squad but 
they've had great seasons yeah. at club level um, and they should be full of confidence coming into the, the national side yeah. uh, and we could really do Malta some damage if we put a close <laughs> so. early confident prediction yeah, I think so I, you know the, the players simply are better than yeah. what Malta have to offer um, personally I'd like to see a younger side um, I'm not too fussed about the Malta result I'd just like to try and uh, quicken the transition mm-hmm. but do you think there's an argument that he, he, he plays a full team against Malta just gets the win gets those Muppets talking about that that stat about the 90 minutes and put that completely out of the out of the window then they have to say it's a competitive win in 90 minutes do you think there's an argument that he, he just gets this win gets kind of the monkey off his back for a bit at least or do you like naturally you think if you play Malta in Ukraine in a set of friendlies you'd, you'd give the young players who go against Malta, players playing in the local leagues, say 175th in the world, and then play the full team against Ukraine. But there's players like Stuart Dallas and, and Paddy McNair, and uh, you players like that, Paddy McNair's played 46 games this season, started every game. We know how you know, taxing playing in the midfield of uh, Marcelo Bielsa's side is on Dallas and players like that. A lot of these players, you know, probably don't want to play two games in a row. So we are going to have to get that right. And, and, and would you then would you then play like an experimental side against Malta and risk kind of not getting the result, which would be a bit of a disaster, even though it's a friendly? I think I think if he goes for an experimental team, people will realise uh, there's a chance we might not get the result. But I think there's more benefit to be had by bringing in the younger players. Uh, the Ukraine game is obviously going to be more beneficial if we play a full-strength mm-hmm. team. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, hundred um, percent. Well, uh, it's 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 a difficult one for him to get right. Um, I think there's there's a lot of pressure on him. But one thing we we we've been talking about is kind of the transition from Michael O'Neill to Barraclough. You'd think a lot of the remit in in what Barraclough's been asked to do is tailored around bringing through these players that he's uh, that he's worked with um, in the under twenty ones. We've already seen it, as I say, with Ballard, uh, with McCann. One of the things. It hasn't been great under Ian Barclough, there's no doubt about that. Results haven't been great, but one of the things is that he has, you know, Ballard and McCann, you look at those two players now, and you just think they're they're just players who can you can you can start a game for Northern Ireland and you wouldn't bat an eyelid. McCann starts in Italy, I think Ballard starts a Bulgaria game. And if any of those were to were to play in a you know, say, in a in a world in which you've got a World Cup playoff tomorrow, you, if either of them were in the lineup, you'd be absolutely fine with it. And that that's credit to him really. Um but one thing I guess that's gonna be the the most difficult thing about the, the Barclough transition is life after Steve Davis. Now, we don't really know how long Davis is going to play for us for. Like he's, There was a lot of chat that maybe he'd retire after the last um, campaign. Um, he's obviously come in to play this one. Now, my reading of it, and it's, it's a complete you know hypothesis, complete prediction. I don't have no insider info or anything like that, but I think maybe he'll look at the next Nations League, uh, which starts, obviously this campaign is finished in November. I think Davis might go then. And then he'd use that Nations League in League C against teams like, uh, you know, lesser lesser nations, I guess. I don't want to say Malta, but maybe slightly the, the level up from Malta. And that's a good time to give the likes of Galbraith, McCalmont. You know, McCalmont's got a full season in senior football now. Galbraith might have that next year. You know, players like that, Dion Charles, even this this next generation, to kind of complete that transition. Um, and this is kind of the first time that we've seen Davis not be in a squad for a while. Um, so, like, how do you think that looks for the next couple of years you know Stuart Dallas there's a debate about that we will come on to that to, uh, to talk about that in the next part of the podcast but like is is this the right time to, to blood McCallum and blood Galbraith or, or do you think it's a bit too early for them and a lot of pressure on them for the age they're at you know it could possibly a bit be a bit too early for them I think it's you know it's definitely worth trying to keep Davis in the squad for as long as possible even if he isn't playing just to 
share his experience with the younger guys because that will help a huge amount and mm-hmm. probably try and calm them a bit before yeah. major games. Uh, but I suppose you know he is going to retire at some point, and I'll be absolutely gutted when it finally happens. You know he's been ever present since I think I've been going to the Northern yeah. Ireland games. Oh, you okay. know. 2004, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. So you know the assist to David Healy, mm-hmm. you know, great moments, the header against Greece, yeah. two goals, Greece, and and then the caps as well. Yeah. Um, so if you told me a couple of years ago David was Davis was going to retire, I would have been really worried for our team. But I think there's hope, you know, with the younger players coming through, we've actually got a bit of depth now in the centre mid department. So much so that, well, I'm sure we'll come on later in the podcast to talk about Dallas's position. Yep. But he, you know, he's played there for Leeds. He might not be guaranteed a centre mid spot as such. He might be forced out the right back. Yep. Um, so I think there's hope, but it's definitely worth keep, keeping him in and around the squad, okay. on the pitch, around some of the younger yeah. lads. I guess like if if he's the type of guy, you know, he's he's obviously a midfielder, he's very good technically, he's not, you know, he, he, he strikes me as the type of guy who could play on these 40, you know, we could be yeah. still wheeling him out, I think Craig Hannon said on one of the, uh, on the Post Italy podcast, you know, he, he might retire from club football before he retires from international football, and it, it could be one of those things where, um, you know, he, he'd always keep playing on and on and on, but that's an interesting point you make there about, like, uh, you keep him around because I feel like Davis isn't the type of guy who'd be wound up for example Nations League next year if he's not getting games or if like yeah. he, he'll be able to see that transition coming through and, and those players coming through and then when it comes to the Euro 2024 qualifiers which I think you're building Barraclough up to I think that's you know that's when he's really going to be judged on it uh, obviously he'll have to secure a new contract before then but I, I think that's you know will that be four years uh, four fairly interrupted years um, and then you can really judge him then. And Euro twenty twenty four, you know, if we win our league C and then win the playoffs and the final, we've got a we've got a guaranteed spot. And then obviously two from each group qualify. So there are chances there. And I think that's what we have to build towards. But one of the things is that you know we don't really have a, a destroyer of a defensive midfielder in our squad. I mean, I think Liam Donnelly at Motherwell is probably the closest you come to that. There's a debate about the the quality of player he is. He's he's I think he's 23 now. Um, you know he's he's the most caps for the under 21s. But playing in the Scottish Premiership, playing for Motherwell, there are question marks around him. So like I feel like whoever comes into that deepest midfield role for Northern Ireland has to be kind of in the mould of Steve Davis. And I think the likes of Galbraith and McCalmont are. And um, from what you read about McCalmont, I know your your dad's a lead supporter. I think so. I don't know how much yeah. you've chatted to him about it. I know you were saying you've chatted a bit about Charlie Allen in the in the under twenty ones as well. But when I look at like, I don't want to see Paddy McNair playing there. I don't want to see Paddy McNair anywhere near the defensive midfield role. I don't really want to see Ali McCann there as well. When I've watched Galbraith for United, when he comes deep, he's good technically. He wants the ball. He's comfortable with it. And um, he can play kind of anywhere in the midfield. And the same with McCalmont. He's actually mainly played defensive midfield for Oldham this season. Um, but we know he's a box-to-box player. He's got 10 goals in his first senior uh, season in senior football. So, like, I-, I guess my question to you is, when Davis has been taken out of the team, it's been Michael Smith who's been there, who's done a manful job. He's been completely functional. He's been absolutely fine. But realistically, four years' time, Michael Smith's not going to be playing defensive midfield for Northern Ireland, so you want somebody like that coming through. Do you kind of share my my views on the, you know, for example, you don't want a, a McNair, certainly not a Dallas, players like that playing there, and if we can find a defensive midfielder, um, not in the destroyer mould, but in the mould of a Steve Davis, then we're, we're flying for the next couple of years. I, you know, I think it would be a great blessing if we find someone who is a like-for-like replacement with Davis. You know, most of our success has been built around him, so to get someone in his exact same mould would be brilliant. I completely agree with not playing McNair there or yeah. Dallas there because they 
And they're players who, when they get on the ball, like to charge forward. They don't, you know, they're not necessarily the playmaker type. They're not going to pick up the ball from mm-hmm. the defense, play quick one-two passes, yeah. or spread the ball 40, 50 yards to wingers. That's not what they do. They're better running forward and carrying the ball. So I think, you know, there's encouragement there with Galbraith mm-hmm. and uh, McAlmond being like for like replacements. Don't want to put too much pressure on them, obviously, yeah. because... You know, filling Steve Davis's boots is probably going to be one of the hardest tasks mm-hmm. that a Northern Irish footballer could uh, face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, completely agree. And it was interesting some of Barclough's comments on the on the loan moves as well, because he talked about when he was with the under twenty ones, he said that the players that get out on loan, and you know, we've seen a lot of fans sort of talking about that around Galbraith, especially in January. A lot of the Northern Ireland fans were quite annoyed that he didn't go out and loan him. And to be fair, we've done a bit of this in the podcast. We won't spend too long talking about this. But it is interesting how Barraclough kind of shares that. And I, I was kind of thinking, you know, Galbraith in the under-23s, learning a style of play, learning a philosophy, um, you know, they, where the focus is very much on his technical ability rather than potentially being thrown into a League One team, being eaten up, kind of, just just becoming like a more of a, of a journeyman of a midfielder. That's not what you want for a player like that. But on the other hand, everyone talks about Alfie McCalmont as having gone out and got that experience. And, you know, he's bulked up, he's he's become a man kind of playing in that league. He's obviously thrived on a football in front as well. But people have to remember that Galbraith is almost exactly a year younger than McCalmont. So, you know, who knows what would happen to McCalmont if he went on loan at 18, 19. He could have got eaten up, it could have ruined his confidence. This is the year I feel like Galbraith has to go out somewhere, preferably League One and higher. But even if it's League Two, I think just do it um, and get a bit of experience at this point. Yeah. It's probably from a player player's perspective a difficult balance to to find because if you start going out on loan, you can do that for a number of years and you sort of get lost in the wilderness and you know look at the look at the amount of Chelsea loanies they've yeah. sent out and what's happened to them and you really hope that doesn't happen to one of one of our young players. We've obviously got some vested interest there, mm-hmm. but in fairness, you know credit where credit's due to Manchester United they do have a track record of actually bringing through youth yeah. Johnny Evans one of our own actually came we've, we've, Northern system. Ireland have a, have a really strong like yeah. Man United there's several players down the years so it's it's probably not a bad place for him to be they have a good track record of bringing through the youth but then again if he wants to go out and try and experience more of the football world and what it's really like uh, playing against men in lower leagues um, I, I, I think it'd be a good thing for him to do obviously McCalman's thrived You'd hope he could he could be able to do the same, um, and I suppose at that age you, you do want to get out and just play football. Mm-hmm. I think and look at the players who we've we've had on loan. McCalmont has managed to get into the North Ireland squad. Uh, Ballard has gone on loan to Blackpool. Yeah, he's in done the brilliantly. Playoff final tomorrow. I think over the fifty percent of the games he's played, they've kept a clean sheet. They've the meanest defense in the league, fewest conceded. Yeah. Like he's been incredible. So it go, it goes to show that we're yeah. having a high success rate with these players. Yeah, I suppose with Ballard maybe going to League One, you can, it lends itself to being a centre back. It might be a bit more difficult at centre mid mm-hmm. when you've got people flying in left, yeah. right, and centre, and you don't have that much time in the ball. But it might do them the world of good. Yeah, yeah, so. completely agree. Well, there's uh, there's two new faces in the Northern Ireland squad: uh, Connor Bradley and Sam McClellan. Now we were chatting before; we've no idea. We've never seen either of them play. Neither of them have even played for the under twenty ones. As I was saying on some of the interviews, I. Um, I feel like 
I feel like I've got a fairly decent knowledge of the young players coming through at Northern Ireland, but uh, we, we know nothing about these because they've kind of half been fast-tracked, but we're looking forward to seeing them, uh, and we've got two people on to chat about these players who watch them week in, week out. Uh, so first of all, you're going to hear two interviews back-to-back here. First of all, we've got Orlando from the Chelsea Spot, uh, Academy Experts at Chelsea, and he was chatting to me about Sam McClelland, and then we chatted to Josh Sexton from the Anfield Rap, who was on talking about Connor Bradley. I'm delighted now to be joined by Orlando from the Chelsea Spot podcast on to have a chat about Sam McClelland, who has been called into the Northern Ireland squad, the senior squad, uh, for the first time. Orlando, thanks very much for coming on at, uh, so late at night and at such short notice. No, no problem. I'm looking forward to it. I myself am slightly surprised by the fact that McClelland was um, was called up, as I'm sure you and, and most fans are. But, you know, obviously it's a pleasant surprise from from my point of view with that vested interest from the Chelsea Academy. But, yeah, looking forward to, to chatting a bit about him. Yeah, great stuff. As I said, we were, we were supposed to do this about, about 10 o'clock and then we said, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll watch the Europa League final, see how that goes. Um, and Villarreal and Manchester United proceeded to... Uh, prolong that game as long as long as it was humanly possible <laughs> it's now christmas 2023 uh <laughs> <Sam McClellan's laughs> 35 now uh listen yeah as you say everyone was a little bit surprised when he when he was named in the squad this morning um he's a player who hasn't actually even got a game for northern Ireland's under 21s yet he's been in the squad he's been in some training camps but actually hasn't played a game for them so he's very much been fast-tracked for us um so all I really know about this guy is he's a centre half and he's tall, uh, and I'm hoping you can uh, I'm hoping you can fill in a few blanks for me. What type of player is he? Yeah, so um, he's one who's been kind of on the periphery of the Chelsea under twenty three squad for some time now, but only made I think his first start um, this season. Um, I think around December time. Um, there are a few centre backs who um, kind of went out of the picture in the January transfer window um, and he started getting some some minutes. In the Chelsea Academy, how it works is often the centre-backs or the defenders in general end up staying in the under-18s for longer than the midfielders and the attackers. So, you know, it's only natural that at his age he hadn't um, progressed to the under-23 squad as much. But, you know, he was really... Um, he made the transition to the, to the 23s and, and the Premier League to... Uh, level really seamless um he's very kind of composed um good on the ball good with both feet uh, dribbling out into midfield playing long switches but I think he's a little bit more of an old school defender than um I guess than some centre-backs Chelsea produce um he's excellent in the air very vocal um got good positioning he can play I think when Chelsea have played in the back three, he's usually been the, the central one. So, but he, he can play on either side, and and you know, obviously in the back four, he can play either side. He's not, um, he's right-footed, but he's not hugely right-footed. You know, he can, he, he's very competent on his left. Um, and yeah, all round, he's just a very solid player who um actually stood out to me a bit just um for the under twenty threes this season, just in in that he was so assured at that level, having not played you know at that level previously yeah yeah absolutely and uh it's interesting something you mentioned there but in, in playing at a back three that's something that northern ireland have very much adopted under new manager in barraclough in the last year is that something kind of chelsea have done ever since thomas tuckle came in obviously we know he likes to play three at the back uh, with the senior squad uh, and if so like how would you compare mcclelland in a back four with a back three do you think it suits him more do you think it's more comfortable um it's actually something that, that chelsea do 
in their academy and have done for years um you know kind of irrelevant of the, of the first team manager um because i won't go into too much detail on this but it allows you to produce for example wide players who if they end up being attackers they you know end up being good defensively because have they they've played at wing back and, and the same goes for full backs they end up being really good going forward and, you know you can see that with the likes of Tariq Lamptey or Reese James um but yeah um in terms of defenders and center backs um it can be beneficial and it can sometimes have some drawbacks because obviously in a back three, you're not so exposed defensively um, as to how you might be in a back four for a centre-back. So you can end up being not so strong defensively. And we've seen that with a few centre-backs that Chelsea have produced. But on the other hand, it can also make you extremely secure on the ball, which is something that you know Chelsea like to put a specific onus on being, you know, being such a big team, such a club that, you know, like dominating possession particularly at, at youth level um but actually with McClelland I'd say he's you know as I alluded to before he's really good at the kind of nuts and bolts defending um excellent in the air excellent positionally um as I said very wo- very vocal he's a bit of a leader um and yeah assured on the ball so I wouldn't say there are any really real clear flaws in his game maybe he could become a bit more well, a bit more daring, I guess, on the ball. He could. He doesn't like to play too many line-breaking passes. But as I say, he's spent most of his time for the Chelsea under-23s playing in the middle of a back three. So, you know, the, the progressive passing or carries or whatever are usually going to be made by the outside centre-back. So he's not as adventurous and more focused on, yeah, I guess, the actual defending. Okay, that's interesting. And in terms of, like, the fact he's he's come in kind of the under-23s, Played a few games this season, had a few problems with injuries as well. Been playing with the the under eighteens. Like, does he stand out really in those Chelsea sides, or is it? Do you think it's too early to say if he's going to be like somebody who can really push the first team in the future? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say he's someone who I would earmark to push into the first team in the future. But I would say that I was not surprised, but just impressed with how good he was. Um, you know, I think he's probably ready good enough to to go into next season and, and take a loan at around about a league one level um so i think yeah he's someone who can definitely have a good career um in in the efl at the very least and possibly premier league in in the future um but you know he's been play- put it this way he's been playing next to for the most part uh levi Col- colwell who is one of the most outstanding center backs in youth football I have ever seen at, at that level um, and you know he hasn't looked to be completely in his shadow so I guess that that tells you what you need to know in terms of yeah as I said just really kind of impressively clean defensively he doesn't make mistakes um, uh, he's always in the right place at the right time and yeah the word I'd use to best describe him, uh, particularly defensively, is assured. He he looks like he kn- he knows what he's doing, and obviously that's something you always like to see from your centre back. Okay, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about like the natural progression being going to maybe a League One club uh, on loan next season. That's something we've seen Daniel Ballard do coming through the Arsenal mm. academy. Uh, and you mentioned the just final question. Uh, you mentioned the like assuredness there. Uh, that's something we associate with uh, an absolute hero of ours, Johnny Evans. And there have been pieces uh, written 
by the Northern, Northern Irish media, uh, media who cover the underage Northern Ireland sides, that he could be the next Johnny Evans, which, you know, is going to be a little bit of a lazy comparison, really. And, um, you know, both Northern Irish, uh, both center halves, both tall. But do you kind of see similarities between the two in their games? I don't know how much you've seen of, of Leicester, Johnny <laughs> Evans, or if you don't read well, them as highly think... as we do, but... I think possibly. I think the one thing that I'd associate with with Johnny Evans is that he's very two-footed um, yeah. and he's really good at passing. Um, and I think maybe that is something that McClellan could become known for, you know, by virtue of having come through the Chelsea Academy and the age groups where they, they dominate possession so heavily. But to be quite honest, I haven't seen that from him as of yet um, for the under-23s because, yeah, basically he's been playing in the middle of a back three, hasn't had too much time on the ball where he's going to be looking to make those crossfield switches and, uh, and stuff like that but in terms of yeah defensively Johnny Evans always been quite solid I think it's not obviously as you say it is going to be in in essence a lazy comparison but it's not it's not one of those lazy comparisons that that's completely off the mark you know there is some truth in it I think okay well we'll hold fire on that comparison for now Orlando thanks so much for joining me <laughs> no problem I've enjoyed it Delighted now to be joined by Josh Sexton from the Anfield Wrap uh, on to talk about Connor Bradley after he was called up to the Northern Ireland squad for the first time. Uh, Josh is somebody who watches the Liverpool Academy week in, week out. It's great to have him on. He joins uh, um, an esteemed list of people who have contributed to both the Anfield Wrap and Spur of 2016. We've got John Gibbons, we've got me, we've got you, Jordan Singleton. Uh, we've also got Craig Hannon, but I did say esteemed. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, some, some lesser known individuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, we're all good. Yeah, it's been it's been a busy day, but uh, get to reward ourselves with it with a couple of ales later on. So uh, yeah, happy enough. Absolutely good stuff. Well, it was a little bit of a surprise when uh, when Connor Bradley was called into the Northern Ireland squad. He hasn't uh, really been around the under twenty ones to be honest. He's been fast tracked in. Um, a bit of a lack of 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 players in the right back position for Northern Ireland at the minute, especially with Michael Smith being out and uh, not being in this squad. So like, how highly is he rated at the Liverpool Academy? I know he's uh, he signed a uh, a professional contract in the last year or so. Um. Is he is he somebody that Liverpool see as somebody who can be at the club for a long time? It's it's an interesting one with Connor really because he's still sort of on on the younger side and with with a few of the the younger guys like so he's a first year in in the under 18s um, or he might be a second actually because he'd be coming up to July uh, to be to be coming 18 so he'll he'll be sort of heading into his, his second year this year now and um, it's it's one of them where they try to protect them when the, when that sort of age. So unless they start making headlines sort of, you know, beyond what, what they're doing at the academy, the, the lads at the academy tend to sort of try and keep them dead grounded. But from, from everything I've seen from Connery, he's, he's, he's been sort of magnificent so so far. And it's it's hard to play the fullback role for Liverpool. We all sort of know that from watching the senior side. And and that that they try and sort of implement that tactic all the way down the, the, the academy levels as well. So... He's a, he's a he's a lad who's who's asked a lot of. There's been a, a few games this season where like sometimes that, that it looks like that burden has worn on him, but there's been times as well where he's where he's really stepped up to the plate and, and been dead impressive. And I think that is, that is something which is echoed by the coaches at the academy. Obviously, that they, they do want to sort of temper expectations, but there's also you know if if a lad's playing well, then you've got to sort of say what's in front of your very eyes. And at times this season, Con has been ma- magnificent. And I think this this just shows. Obviously, there's a bit of a, a thing around selection with with Northern Ireland in general, where you sort of sometimes have to, have to be Republic of Ireland to, to picking somebody yeah. so I've done over there's maybe a little bit of that going on with with Connor and, and it's sort of early call up but it's 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 not really particularly surprising when when you sort of see when you see some of his performances this season that that he is being considered um, uh, along the, along for the fast track and things like that because as I say he's he's uh, he's someone who's got all the tools 
Yeah, happy days. And it's it's almost like the worst position to be in when you're coming up through the Liverpool Academy because you've got Trent Alexander Arnold, who's you know potentially playing playing right back for Liverpool for the next 10, 15 years. So what kind of a fullback is he there? You say that Liverpool try and implement that that style of fullback right the way through the academy. So would you say he is an attacking fullback, like with a fantastic delivery like Trent, or or what's and what's he like defensively? Just give me an idea of of, of the style of player he is. I think it'd be, it'd be fair to say he's well-rounded. It's, it's something that they they particularly are looking for with with academy talents, and I think you've seen that with with some of the lads who've sort of been playing around that level in recent years. Is that they've got to have a bit of you know, a bit of both going both ways. So you think of Yasser Larucci, who's who's a lad who's obviously leaving Liverpool this summer. I think there was a bit of a consideration for him because he was converted from a winger into a, into a left back. There was a bit of a consideration with him that he probably didn't have enough going backwards. Um, and I think there was probably a few uh, questions around sort of attitude and stuff like that as well because he was he was he was looking to get into the first team pitch. With with Connor, he is he's someone who's sort of got all all the tools. So he's he's got a good delivery. He can, he can get forward. He's, he's got a bit of pace about him as well. But it's it's as much the defensive qualities which which make him impressive because that's that's what is, will stand you out at, at under 18s and under 23s level in particular. And he's been playing for the under 23s loads this season as well as is, is being able to 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 defend your flank because as we say, it's it's not an easy position to play for Liverpool the the fullback role and if, if especially if you're getting so far forward. You have to have that sort of recovery pace to get back, to fill back into your position, to get back in front of your, of your marker and stuff like that. And Connor has, has shown throughout this season that, that he he can do that with with a plum. So there is there is sort of as much going forward for him as, as there is going back. And I think like the mentality is, is has been a massive thing for Connor as well. He just seems like a a very down to earth lad with with his head on his shoulders, and 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 that always helps because that is something that at the academy they're so they're so big on teaching. I mean, like we we went to do a training session at, at Anfield the other day and had some of the academy coaches. And um, like they were just, they were so persistent on like the Liverpool way. The Liverpool way is how you carry yourself and things like that. And Connor's just one of those lads who who that, that sort of shines through, and that the coaches have done such a good job on in 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 bringing through in in that mould. And, and that's why it, you know people are right to be excited about him at the club and and beyond as well. Okay, brilliant. And uh, one of the things we know with Ireland at the minute, one of the big kind of debates is is where Stuart Dallas should play. Now he's been playing right back a lot for us, but in in the midfield is is where he's played a lot under Bielsa and Leeds, and, and arguably has thrived more there. Um, so we're kind of looking down the under twenty ones, the under eighteen, seeing is there a right back coming through that, that can play there for us and cover that position, and we can get Stuart Dallas into midfield, but. One of the things, Ian Barraclough, who's uh, um, he's been in the job for about a year, he's been playing a bit of a three-five-two. It seems to suit a lot of our players. Um, so, would you then say if Connor Bradley was to come into that, and you know, who knows if he's going to get a game in these friendlies or not? But if he was to come into that, maybe in the next couple of years, would he be more suited to the 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 third centre back, or do you think he'd be more of a wing back with the kind of the pace and the delivery that you're talking about there? I think he could probably be adaptable. To be fair, this it's another thing that Liverpool have sort of looked to implement, particularly with lads like Connor Bradley, who can sort of who are, who are fullbacks by trade, but that they they always believe that these lads can play a couple of other positions if they need to. And obviously, there's there's got to be the ability to get forward and stuff. So I'd imagine that you know if, if you ask Connor at some point, he would he would sort of say he'd be happy to play wherever the gaffer puts him in in that sort of sense. But it's because he has to be adaptable. He has to be adaptable to to be you know a member of Liverpool's academy to make sure he, he you know he gets into that first team picture. It's one of the things that. Alex Inglethorpe has been so big on it at Liverpool with the players is that you have to be adaptable because you, you don't know when your chance is going to come but you also don't know necessarily where your chance is going to come so you know you mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold before we all sort of know the story of how he was a midfielder and Alex Inglethorpe had the conversation with him saying if, if you want to break into the first team you, we might have to convert you to a right back and then obviously he's, he's done that and become the best right back in the world so I think if you were to ask Connor he would, he would be prepared to sort of take any any role that was that was given to him I I personally think he'd probably be more suited to to the wing back role. He's he sort of 
is he is more of a, of a midfield type player than he is a, a, a defense type player. So he is he's obviously good going backwards, but it, I think the the sort of midfielder, like being on the right side of that midfield, but playing a wing back role would suit him more because as as I said before, he's got that sort of that recovery pace to get back and fill back in. But also, I think more of his attributes are probably a, a bit more suited to going forward as they are defensively. Okay, brilliant. And uh, last question, Josh. Um, where does he kind of compare uh, to other players in the under-18s and the under-23s? Like you mentioned you have players there like, like Trent and Curtis Jones who, who have come through the Liverpool Academy. There's clearly a pathway for these guys to get into the first team. Obviously, Nico Williams is, has been um, brought up through the academy into the into the like the kind of reserve right-back role. Uh, at 17 years old, Conor Bradley's still like so long to go, so much learning to do, as you mentioned, so much development. Um, but where does he kind of rank among the, the players around his age and in the under-23s? Does he massively stand out or is it too early to say, do you think, for now? It's interesting, really, because in the under twenty threes, he's 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 one of the much younger lads in that. So he's so you can sort of say that there's 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 he deserves a lot of credit there for for even breaking into that picture. But the under the under twenty threes sort of have a similar you know issue to to as you said Northern Ireland had in terms of there's just a, there's a, a bit of a dearth of, of right backs there for for the under twenty threes. So there's not there's not a load of options to pick from. It's not to take away from Connor that, that he's he sort of made his trade there because as as I say he has been magnificent for them this season. But you know it, it's it's tough because you you'd have to sort of compare him to the lads who are around his age group and the lads who are around his age group are mostly still playing in, in the under 18s and, and they're tearing it up for the under 18s. Mm-hmm. But Connor's obviously got a much sort of bigger job on his hands because under 23s football, you get some some senior lads in there. You're generally going to get bigger lads in there who are more developed. So he's got more of a task. I remember one of Connor's standout games that I saw this season was um, was against Arsenal under 23s where he had the the small task of defending Reese Nelson, which was, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a first team player who's literally been playing in, in Germany and stuff, it was, it was going to be a tough task for Connor, but he but he absolutely had him in his back pocket all game. So I'd say for, for lads around his age, he's, he's probably exactly where where he needs to be in terms of level. Um but obviously then in terms of age group he's he's sort of a he's he's ahead of his time in the academy, which I think can only be a positive thing if, if he does start getting games for Northern Ireland because you wouldn't imagine that there's sort of too much at like an international friendly level at least that would that would particularly shock him because there's there's lads who play at under 23s level as I say who are who are seasoned professionals coming back from injuries and there's and there's lads who play there who are sort of you know probably you know set for championship championship moves or league one moves and things like that it's a it's a bit of a strange league in that sense. So uh yeah I'd, I would say Connor Bradley is exactly where he needs to be and, and hopefully he can he can have a big future for Northern Ireland especially. Okay, brilliant stuff. Well, uh, we're recording this uh, on the day that Liverpool have signed Ibrahim Kanate. Now you're going to speak to Rafa Honigstein in 15 minutes here. Uh, talk about a bit of after the Lord Mayor's show after coming in here. But uh, yeah, no, nice one for coming on, Josh. Thanks very much. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Massive thanks to Orlando and Josh for their time there. Uh, Pete, we're going to come on to have a little bit of chat. I don't think we've ever really massively addressed this in the podcast. We've talked a lot about Ballard. We've talked a lot about Jones and players like that. But it's Dallas's position. Now, Dave is always on here, you know, calling for Dallas midfield, Dallas Davis, McNair midfield three. That's his dream. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think after this season that he's had under Bielsa, I think there's an argument for it you read anything about kind of Bielsa's tactics if you any sort of understanding of it you'll know that you have to be a bloody super player to play midfield for him um, you know you have to be obviously physically fit that's a bit everyone focuses on but you have to be like really good technically good at taking the ball on the run different things like that so do you think that um, that we that we, that we just need to get this guy into midfield by hook or by crook um, personally no okay that's, that's my stance on it I, I don't think 
I, I just prefer him at right back. I think he adds a lot more for us at right back. What I will say is, you know, he's been f- fantastic for Leeds, both uh, left back, right back, centre mid, striker, yeah, right left, everywhere keeper. he plays, keeper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't think comparing the Northern Ireland squad and how we play to the Leeds team and their fun. style of play is a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. Leeds play the, you know, just the gung ho style approach. Uh, where there seems to be lots of space everywhere when they get the ball, they're mm-hmm. attacking all the time, and you, know, you can see why Dallas has thrived there. Mm-hmm. But I would also say, you know, the games he's played at fullback, yeah. he's been terrific, and sure. he's scored goals from there. Uh, and that's because I suppose the system allows him to advance up the mm-hmm. pitch a bit more. Um, and I think when we've played three at the back, that allows Dallas to get up the pitch and. I suppose we don't dominate teams too regularly, but I think when he's driving in the defence, maybe gets it behind and cuts the ball back. Mm-hmm. For example, we've seen in games. I think he's he's more potent there. Well, do you not think you talk about the the, yeah. the fact that we we don't always dominate games? I think that you know I've I I think I literally agreed with you in the last podcast that I think yeah. Dallas's position was right back, but I'm looking at it now and seeing the level he's playing at for that lead side. Yeah. And I think the the big question is about who plays right back. And we'll come yeah. on, you know, we'll, we'll come on to chat about that in a second. But do you not think that we could potentially end up dominating games as Northern Ireland with a Davis uh, Dallas mid um, and McNair midfield three? Like that's a guy who's you know played every game of the championship this season. One of the best players in the championship could well get a move to the Premier League next season. You've got Steve Davis, who's just been nominated for Scottish uh, Premiership Player of the Year uh, in a Rangers side, one of the best Rangers sides that we've seen. Uh, invincible season, getting far in Europe, and they've got Stuart Dallas playing week in week out in the Premier League. I mean, is there not an argument that you just instead of like plugging a gap there at right back that you you you, you, you actually get him into midfield? dominate the midfield have your best midfield and then kind of get somebody else in as a stopgap at right back whether that's Smith whether that's somebody else I mean I mean, don't get me wrong there certainly is an argument I mean playing him centre mid I wouldn't disagree with at all Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have any questions about him playing there but I speak, what, what do you do with the other centre mids coming through mm. I mean Ali McCann has just won the double yeah, <laughs> yeah, he has, yeah. You know, so he's in a terrific season playing at a decent level and you know, I'd your bigger teams are sort of eyeing him up as well mm-hmm. so we could have a pretty good midfield coming together without Dallas maybe having to go in there mm-hmm. um, I, I just when the when he's gone in centre mid for us I don't think there has been like an outstanding change in how we've played I don't yeah. think our performance levels have massively increased I don't mm-hmm. think we have massively dominated a midfield I mean he went in there against Austria we, yes albeit we struggled in that game yeah we were dead in our feet that game you know, that is a that is a tough game to go into and it's probably not fair to judge him on that mm-hmm. when he comes on when he, he steps into midfield against yeah. Bulgaria and he creates a couple of chances and that's the that's the thing that you kind of look at Northern Ireland's team and whether it's Davis yeah. McNair it all, I know what you're saying about McCann the third midfielder for me always seems to be significantly Lesser mm. in terms yeah. of their not their quality in the ball. It, it feels so harsh, McCann, but he's only twenty. I think it's a couple of years before he'll yeah. be at the level of a Davis or a McNair or a, a Dallas in midfield. But whether it's Corey Evans, whether it's George Savile, you're always looking at that, and you're never entirely convinced by it unless they're doing a functional job for the rest of the team. True. Potentially putting Dallas in there, and you, you know you could say it's maybe horses for courses. You want to see it against the three and A, but you don't want to see it against Switzerland, for example. But I think that we could really get a foothold in the midfields as we did under Michael O'Neill a lot of the time. Um, you know George Savile. 
uh, with it was the Savile Davis McNair midfield that actually you know for a half against Germany completely dominated them for a half yeah. against the Netherlands completely dominated them I think if you maybe add Dallas into that with his work rate you're not losing any, any legs certainly and yeah. um, it's just a question of right back and Connor Bradley's come in we don't know if he's going to get any games here um, from what Josh has been saying in the interviews it's, it's encouraging but that is the issue isn't it it's, it's who plays right back and are we being a bit harsh on Michael Smith in the sense that he's never really let us down but you look at him he's not he's not the kind of the most fashionable footballer he looks like he's about 50 he's actually younger than, than most people think but ultimately what you, have, you know you can you can have the narrative around him but ultimately he's not a player he's going to be playing for us in five years time Um so, but then maybe maybe neither is Stuart Dallas. It's difficult. It is difficult. I mean, yeah. The, the, you're you're persuading me a bit here. You're weighing up where is he most effective for us? Yeah. If we play him in midfield, is he better there for us? Does he create more chances? Or if he's advancing on the right side or left side, does he create more chances for us there? And yeah, I mean, you certainly don't lose anything by playing him in midfield because, in my opinion, he's our best player. Yeah. Um, and he sold off so highly. I think the Leeds awards ceremony again. My dad was telling me he he, he cleaned, cleaned up. he cleaned up yeah. what everything what fans player players player goal, goal of the year. year. So, I mean, if we if we started playing a style where he went into centre mid and it allows him to get forward a bit more. And we create space for him to work with and carry the ball forward and uh, do things. I'd love to see him there. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. It is a good debate to, to be had. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, who fills, uh, plugs the gap at right back. I think I think Michael Smith's more than capable of doing that. Um, you know, he could be one of those players like Macaulay, for example, who just thrives later on in his yeah. career and keeps going. <laughs> you know, he's a bit of a cult hero for yeah, me. Macaulay on steroids, that would be yeah, nice, 32. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good but yeah I suppose you could put Michael Smith right back in Dallas in the in the midfield yeah wouldn't be against it would be interesting to see I suppose against the lower uh, levels of opposition like mm-hmm. Malta I think a lot of it depends <clears throat> on how Connor Bradley develops as well mm-hmm. he's highly yeah. rated at Liverpool he's got a professional contract um, but you could potentially see Michael Smith play there for two three years and while we use potentially the next Nations League two years time to bring through somebody like Connor Bradley um, then you know that could be his his way into the first team while Michael Smith's phased out so there's a lot of ifs, ifs buts and maybes really but um, yeah it's, it's an interesting debate anyway I'd, like, I'd certainly like to see him I think we'd probably both like to see him Dallas in midfield in at least one of these games you might as well use the friendlies to see yeah. if this is highly effective for us um, and, uh, and, and take it from there obviously Dallas as we said has, has played a lot of football this season Alright, let's move on to the strikers. It wouldn't be a spur of 2016 podcast without a striker debate and, and moaning about how bad they all are and how none of them score goals and how the last time a striker scored for Northern Ireland was 2010. Um, there's an interesting one here because Lafferty, McGuinness and Boyce have all a good season. I think Boyce has hit 16 all comps. Uh, McGuinness has hit uh, by far his best season. He's, he's 19 uh, goals for Hull. Uh, they won the league, got promoted. Obviously, he's back in the championship next year. He's one of those players that I feel who will always do well in League One and, and not really do the business in the Championship, kind of like Will Grigg and like a couple of other players we've had. But Dion Charles, that's somebody who, I mean, we talked about in the last podcast, a lot of Northern Ireland fans, including us, were a bit annoyed they didn't get more of a chance. He gets half an hour against the USA. He's not in the squad against Italy. And he doesn't come on against Bulgaria when we needed a goal. So 
you know, 21 goals this season. There's been links with countless championship clubs. I think it's fair to say he will be a championship player next year in some capacity. Even Brentford are supposed to be looking at him. And, you know, yeah. I don't know if that's dependent on maybe them losing today and Ivan Tony going up. But if Brentford are, are seriously linked with him, that's encouraging because they do their research. They've got that kind of money ball uh, statistical mm. technique. Um, but I guess my question is, uh, also we need to caveat the fact that we're, we're recording this Saturday lunchtime. We don't know if uh, Shane Lavery is with the squad or I assume he's going to be with Linfield because they uh, lift the trophy today. He's another one who cleaned up. I think he's the maybe the, one of the first footballers ever to have won Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year in the, in the Irish yeah. League in the same season. So he's somebody who's going to go over across the water, potentially to Blackpool who could be in, in the championship. So it's all very encouraging. But what I'm trying to say is like, um, do you want to see Charles against Malta basically um, and do you want to see you know it, it might be a little bit harsh on the, the senior players who have had good seasons to throw this guy in because realistically it's not we're not going to be able to get all of them serious minutes in the, over these two games are we? No we're not I think we, we we have to give him a chance against Malta you know it's, the guy the rest of the guys have a great, se- uh, great season Lafferty a great second half of the season but we've also seen what they can do in a Northern Ireland certain you know they won't have gone away and reinvented the wheel this season. You know, they're going to turn up and provide a similar sort of hard-working performance that we've seen from them in the past. Charles offers something new. It shoots so, loads, doesn't it? Shoot, you know, we like. <laughs> you know, we just want to see something different. Yeah. A different alternative up front, and that's why there's a bit of excitement around him. You know, he might not be that. He might turn out that he, he's not brilliant for us. But we still want to see him, and th- this is also a guy whose career has been on an upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, he's come from non-league, only Succe- twenty-five. Yeah, succeeded there, League Two, League One, whatever. Um, and Championship teams are looking mm-hmm. at him. So this is a guy who's constantly improving. So why not throw him into the international setup where he could improve again? Mm-hmm. He could score against uh, international defenses and wreak a bit of havoc. Uh, you've got to give him a go against Malta. He will really fancy that. Yeah, because I doubt. I'm sure Malta's international defence isn't as good as a league one defence. All their players play in the Maltese league, apart from madly one player who plays for Newport County on the wing. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. well, so but, but you're, I completely take your point there. You're, what you're saying is like, you know, albeit Charles has scored at League One, and that does ne- not necessarily yeah. always translate to uh, international performances as we've seen over the years. But against Malta, against yeah. Maltese league sides, which is probably around the same level of the Irish league, maybe even slightly worse then you'd expect him to be able to get chances. And the way he's playing, he he will be able to take them. And I saw a lot of chat kind of after the Bulgaria game. It wasn't a game that suits him. Um, And I think uh, there seem to be a lot of experts in Accrington Stanley this season. I mean, I haven't seen... um, I haven't seen any any full games from Dion Charles, but from what you see from the goals, he's somebody who, you know, as we say, he loves taking a shot. He loves, you know, t- kind of tight spaces. And people seem to think that he's this type of Connor Washington, Gavin White, Shane Laffrey player who needs space in behind, otherwise they're ineffective. But um, I, he seems like the type of guy who's actually the complete opposite of that. He, he, I think he's quick, but he's, you know, he's not yeah. he's not lightning quick. He's not, you know, Gavin White, for example. But he's somebody who, who who actually when he, when there is a bit more space maybe in kind of the number 10 role he's somebody who can have a, get a shot get a shot away and yeah, yeah no I completely agree I, I want to see him as well um, we don't know his level yeah with the other guys they've been around the block you know they've played in Scotland they've scored some goals mm-hmm. with, with Dion Charles you know he's typically one scored 20 plus goals yeah if he gets a move to the championship you'd be really excited to see what he can do mm-hmm. there when the opposition obviously steps up again yeah so that's why there's excitement around him. And listen, because we don't know. Only 18 months ago, 
as you, as you referenced, it was literally only a year and a half ago he was playing non-league for Southport. Yeah. He's come into Accrington. Okay, I think he scored ten or eleven in his, his first half of season, uh, and now he scored. Um, I think he's fourth or fifth top scorer in that league. As you say, he's been looked at. So he, you, Jamie Vardy is the one everyone's going to talk about as well, the guy who came from the non-league right the way through. I'm not saying that he's going to do that, but what I'm saying, you know, I, I completely take your point in the sense, and I, and I agree with your point in the sense that you know he, he's had this meteoric rise and and scoring against Malta or Ukraine in a couple of friendlies. It's not. It's not out of the uh, it's not out of the realms of this fairy tale, is what I'm saying. So I completely agree. But let, let, let's have a chat about the formation. We've talked a little bit about how Baraclough likes to kind of do a three-five-two. We seem to have the players for it. But against Malta or against Lithuania in September, we'll maybe rather see a four-three-three. The issue is we don't really have the wingers for it. Um, we've got Nalan McGinn, who's uh, he's getting a bit older now. He's not as effective. He's not playing as much for Aberdeen. Gavin White, I'm still not entirely sure that he's a, a, an international level player in the sense like um, that he can consistently, he's obviously a very good player around our squad, but I don't think he should be guaranteed a spot in our starting lineup at the minute. Jordan Jones, I'm a big fan of. I think you, you quite like him as well. Obviously, Dave yeah. doesn't, but uh, yeah, trigger warning for you, Dave. I mean... He switched off. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, our analytics have been absolutely done there. The attention. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, formation... It, where do you kind of start? Would you like to see maybe, kind of like we did against the, the USA or um, in the friendlies in the last game, kind of try out 4-3-3-3-5-2? It's, a lot of people say that that seems like Barclough doesn't know what he wants, but we have to remember Michael O'Neill flitted between the two formations and yeah. did so successfully. Um, so I think it, it kind of has to be a little bit horses for courses as an Northern Ireland manager. Yeah, I think we're, we're limited as the, the personnel. Mm-hmm. You know, we may not have enough wingers um, to play the 4-3-3 available to us, um, but then if we play three five two, you know we two high quality wing backs. If Dallas is played a wing back still, um, I think I'd prefer to see the three five two even against Malta, mm-hmm. because having three centre backs on the pitch doesn't necessarily mean we'll be more defensive. Yeah, it also means we have two strikers on the pitch yeah. in the box. Yeah, and I'm sure I think a lot of people have the idea that it's that that's the more defensive formation, but I don't think it necessarily is. No, I don't think so because four three three. I think sometimes we struggle. We probably we won't against Malta, mm-hmm. granted, but sometimes. <laughs> I hope not. Probably fingers crossed. We've got to clip that, aren't uh, we? <laughs> we we struggle to get a foothold in the game. Yeah. The striker becomes isolated, and we get penned back. Yeah. Um. So if we stuck with three five two and just get used to it, especially if if we end up playing younger players, get them used to playing in in that style. Mm-hmm. Um. You got to touch on the Ukraine. Uh, we'll do that tomorrow. We'll do that after, yeah. and we'll do that on the on the Malta game. Um, I, I I'd actually quite like to see four three three tomorrow and uh, see if that's something that we'd we'd uh, we'd like to do against Lithuania. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd probably play the three five two against Ukraine. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll wait and see on that one. Anyway, look, we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll be back tomorrow for a podcast but we'll do it straight after the multi-game possibly even stream that to Facebook Live if I can uh, if I can work that out but um, last kind of bit of chat here we're doing a we're doing a bit of a fantasy football competition aren't we Euro 2020 fantasy or 2021 whatever you want to call it I think they're still calling it Euro 2020 um, any any have you have you got your team made yet any I, I think you have no no I had a look autofilled autofilled just to get in the league Lottery. any players you're looking at or any have you even had a look at the prices I mean, it's obvious the big names, the Mbappes, Lewandowski's mm-hmm. are obviously ones you'd like to get in the team. Um, I think you avoid any Swiss players. <laughs> and Slovakians. And Slovakians. Yeah, uh, blocking, blocking anyone who uh, has any of those boys in. Yeah. I'm not too sure, to be honest. I haven't gone into too much details of yet, so okay. I want to 
What about yourself? Yeah, no, I've I've got a I've got a set team. I've been <laughs> chopping and changing the last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, some interesting bargains in there. The Finnish keepers, four million. Uh, not anti Nemi. He's not Finnish. He's only twenty eight. Get that one in. Um, yeah, so it, there's there's a few there's a few there that they've, they've messed up. I'm 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 looking at yeah. Yazici from from Turkey at five and a half million. Had a great season with Lille. So yeah. I'm hoping some some European football knowledge will come into this. But yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Northern Ireland fans are going to be kind of a bit bitter about it and, and not watch it given the the hurt. But I don't know. I, I quite like the international tournaments. I don't know about you. Oh, I love them. Yeah, I think they're great. I mean, growing up, I'm used to just not being. Uh, yeah. You know, I was sort of conditioned myself to support someone a bit rogue. Yeah. I'm well, who are you going for? North Macedonia? No. Uh, <laughs> I quite like the Netherlands normally. Yeah. Um, but I'm not not too sure I was as of yet. I'll probably I'll pick a team after the first game week who I like the okay. like the look of. Yeah. Find like sort of cult hero to follow or something. Yeah. Who's who's gonna be the Shurashev? Who's gonna be the Pilash? Who's gonna <laughs> uh, from <laughs> He's in my team. Is he? Yeah. Well, I mean, he should have bagged about three against us when we played. That's all I'm basing it off. Eight goals, I think, a couple of seasons ago he scored eight in, goals in the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah Edgar. So uh, I think, yeah, I think everyone's Bundesliga knowledge is, is slightly greater, given that that was the first team that yeah, came back after lockdown. But listen, there are going to be prizes for this. Uh, we're doing this with nineties inspired, and um, so the winner of that league is uh, is eligible for a prize from 90s Inspired. You can pick an item of your choice from the website and we'll get that delivered over to you. So that's a prize. Have a look on their website. Some really cool stuff over there. The league code is 28QRT1PNO9. Okay, so I'll put that in the in the bio as well. Um, and I'll put the link to it as well. I think there's a direct link that will take you to that league. So prizes are to be won. Get yourselves in. There's still, what, two weeks until the Euro starts. Um, so have a look um, and uh, and see what you can what you can get there. I'm very excited for it. I want to win it. I mean, if, if I win it or you win it, we'll probably have to. <laughs> imagine we're yeah. top two. Probably third is going to have to get something there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it can't be fixed. We're, we're not in dialogue with UEFA. It's hard enough to get in contact with the IFA, to be honest. <laughs> No, I've got a stinker in the, the Premier League one this year. But so you did win our league for the World Cup 2018, so... I did, well, so, yeah, I did. Sort so of. Well, the, the guy who was first... What was Luke? Was Luke? it? Yeah, yeah. He didn't change his team. Oh, so he so says. So he, he would have won, so he didn't says. change his team. So he says. Uh, I don't believe him. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up there. As I say, we will be back after the multi-game tomorrow. Um, we're going to watch that here. going to do that in person again. I've enjoyed this. Thanks very much for coming on, Pete. No worries. And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.